lo love that concept. I'm glad we have a, a song to even just remind us of it. Well, as we continue in our study of uh, the book of Matthew, we're just getting started. One of the things that I'm, I'm reminded of that we have to uh, keep a sharp focus. I mentioned earlier that, you know, so many times we just kind of parachute into Matthew 2 and, you know, it, it's Christmas time. So we, you know, it's, it's part of this narrative of Christmas. And one of the things we have to be careful of when we're studying God's word is, is not just jumping into, you know, chapter 13, you know, and looking at two verses. We, we have to understand the, the narrative of the story. Another way of saying that is we need to know the big picture, right? And so the meta-narrative of the book of Matthew, as we said before and we'll say many, many times, is that, that Matthew is describing Jesus as the king. <clears throat> and so the, the meta-narrative is Jesus. He's the star. He is the star. Now, there's subplots. There's subplots throughout the book of Matthew. There's subplots with, throughout even, you know, uh, Matthew 2. And there's, you know, sub-characters, right? There's, there's, you know, character roles. And, you know, now we're more in tune with those kinds of things, especially since we have, you know, the, the Internet and we, you know, see a movie or characters and we, we want to know more about Chewbacca, right? Because, you know, all he does is, you know, grown in Star Wars movies. So they'll have a, a whole series of, of Chewbacca. But he's just a sub-character. He's not the main character. And so we want to make sure that we're, we're focusing in on the main character. And that's really important for us. And the main character who's coming into play in Matthew is, is this Jesus. So, you know, who is Jesus? And we have to get Jesus right. We have to get Jesus right. And the enemy has been so clever in infiltrating Jesus into all the major, um, you know, false religions, all the sub-religions. You know, everybody has an account of Jesus, which really just creates more confusion, right? Because nobody really denies the name. It's just, well, who is Jesus really? What is your belief, understanding, view of Jesus? Well, you got to have the right one. You got to have the correct one. If you don't have the right one, if you don't have the correct one, you have a false one. You have a false God, a false religion, and that's a major problem. And so last week we, we were introduced to Jesus. We were introduced to Emmanuel, God with us. And, and what an unbelievable proclamation. What a, what a spectacular supernatural event that, that Isaiah 7 says that God is going to be with us, being humanity. And that just baffles the mind. It should especially baffle the mind for the Israelites who would have been born and raised on the Shema from Deuteronomy that the Lord, our God, is one and that beside him there is no other. And so this idea that here's Jesus and Jesus is, is, is the God-man with us uh, either creates great, great confusion or, or amazing, spectacular clarity. And so it creates that clarity of understanding who the, the true triune Godhead is, the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see very clearly that Jesus himself says, I and the Father are one. 
That's in John 10.30. And the response from, from the, 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 the Jews on site was very clear. There was no ambiguity. He was proclaiming himself as the God-man. And so they picked up stones to kill him for blasphemy. They weren't confused at all. Again, when John says, when they question Jesus as to who he is, and he says, he says in the bold proclamation, I am, right? Which goes back to the Old Testament. Well, who, Moses, what's his name? What's his name? He is who he is. He's the I am. And so once again, the response was to pick up stones to kill him because they clearly understood that Jesus himself was claiming to be this, this word becoming flesh. And all this was planned. All this was prophesied. We, we saw that last week with Isaiah 7. We see Jesus even more spectacularly giving up. He, he gives up this, this deity piece as he's on the earth. And we see this in Philippians 2, the great kenosis where Philippians 2 uh, explaining to us how we should have a selfless attitude. We should have the same kind of attitude that Jesus Christ had. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So first John says, God so loved us that he gave us his son. And again, his son is the, the part of the triune Godhead. This, this, this is something that not only is the, the cornerstone of Christianity, it's the cornerstone of our faith. We're going to be taking communion. That is what we're confessing. That is what we're believing. And so it's essential that we have a right understanding. And Matthew is, is, is building almost like this case for who Jesus is. He doesn't want us to miss it. Um, <clears throat> and then we're reminded again, even in his name of, of Jesus, Yahweh saves, right? Yahweh saves that, that Jesus's name is he came on a mission to save mankind from their sin. How? By sacrificing himself, by being the lamb, by being the propitiation for sin, the substitution sacrifice. What an amazing, amazing proclamation. And so we see the beginning of this in Matthew 1 and 2. And today we're going to look at, at four events from the, the birth of, of, of Jesus four events. The first one is the worship of Jesus. The second is the search for Jesus. The third is the, the plot against Jesus. And then the fourth is the fulfillment in Jesus. So as we turn him back to Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So before we really get into it, we, we need to know... 
who this Herod is. This is a, a sub-character, right, of the subplot, but, it, but a key character. We have to understand again that, that this is a, a historical document. It's a spiritual document written, you know, breathed by God himself. But, but this is a historical document. And if any of these names were wrong, then anybody could come along a hundred years later and go, uh, who, there's no Herod. Herod. There's no Herod didn't exist. They could come along 500 years later. Herod's nowhere in, in the history journals. You can come 2,000 years later in 2023 and say this is completely bogus. We can prove it. But actually, the reverse is true. We can go back and, and look at the, the, the Roman history because Herod was a, a, a key person, so he's in their history. We can go back and look at Josephus, who was a, a, you know, a Jewish historian, and Herod's in his documents too. And then, of course, the greatest historical document ever written, the Bible. And so this Herod guy, we actually know a lot about him. He was king of Judea, which is, the, the, this is, is, is Israel, and it's part of, of the Roman Empire. Okay, the Roman Empire had taken control, uh, you know, about 63 years earlier. And the Romans had appointed Herod as the, the, the ruler of this area. Um, now, there's some historical confusion because there's more than one Herod. Uh, they, you know, would name their sons Herod after themselves. And so sometimes you'll see you know, just the first name Herod, and sometimes you'll see just the, the last name or the, the, you know, the other title or name. But there's a lot of Herods, but it's not that confusing. Um, this is Herod the Great. He's considered Herod the Great. Um, his son didn't do as well uh, politically or, or just controlling the areas as his father. Uh, there's another Herod that actually kills John the Baptist, Okay, that's not the same Herod. There's another Herod in Acts, Herod of Agrippa. He's the one that was eaten by worms. So there's different Herods. But again, documenting Josephus is like, like this Herod's. And, th and this guy's wicked. He's brutal. He, he's a, a, a murderer. Um, he's killed his own family members. He's killed rabbis. And yet this is a guy who considered himself a Jewish convert. Um, which is why he devoted some time to, to building the temple. Um, and this will come back into play, this idea that he was a, a, a sympathizer of uh, Judaism. Well, is he really a believer? Is he really waiting for the coming Messiah like all the other Jews? Um, well, we'll see. We'll see. As we... Continuing to move and looking at that first event of, of the worship of Jesus, the, the actual worship, let me continue. Verse 4, And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them, where is Christ, the Christ, to be born? Remember, the Christ is a title. It's not Jesus' name. It's his title, right? It's, the, it's literally the, the God King. Okay, And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, 
by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. And so we see here that this is a prophecy. This is a major prophecy well known by uh, Jewish scholars, Jewish priests, scribes. And so Herod goes to the religious guys within the community and say, hey, um, where is this king of the Jews supposed to be born? Where is he supposed to be born? Um, because the Magi are walking around asking, where's Jesus, right? Or where, where's the king? Where is he? We, we saw the star in the east. And so we came to follow the star to do what? To worship. Now, hold that thought for a second. And so when Herod, the king, hears that other kings are coming into town to worship the king, you can imagine that that's a bit shocking, right? Now, if Herod is truly a believer and, and a, a Jewish believer, you would think he would be on board and excited and, hey, are you talking about the Messiah? That would be amazing. Well, he plays like that, but we have the advantage of having read further and we know that's not really what he's doing. He's not really excited about the coming of the Messiah. What he's really trying to do is eliminate the competition, right? And so these wise men are, are seeking him out. Um, and, and to his shock, imagine being the king of this area and having all the power, all the authority, all the control. And we're not here for you. Um, be like, you know, going to the White House and, you know, asking for Fred. Is Fred here yet? It's like, who's Fred? Who's that guy? You know? Well, <clears throat> we also see that this is, is written. And, and, and it, it's something that we need to hold on in the back of our minds continuously. When we see chief priests and scribes and Pharisees and the interaction with with Jesus and, his, and, and, and the men of God, it's like, why are these guys always on the wrong side? They should be the ones clinging and fighting to find Jesus. And I say this because I, I, I want us to be cautious. I want us to be cautious at all times that we're not on the wrong side. Because for all intents and purposes, we're the ones, we're the believers. We have God's word. We know the signs that God has told us about the end times and the, the key marks of the birth pangs and the, the things that are supposed to happen at the end. Are we going to walk around like these guys, not only just blind to what's happening, but on the wrong side? Uh May it never be, especially when you have God's word. They have God's word. In fact, all the way to the point when Herod goes, hey, where's the king of the Jews? They know exactly. They can quote it. Chapter and verse. Oh, he's, you know, Bethlehem, the land of Judah. We, we know, you know, hit that Bible quiz button. I know the answer. It's going to come from Judah. It's like anybody who's actually a part of the, this faith knows that answer. Verse 8, And he sent them to 
Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship. So Herod says to the Magi, okay, you guys go find him and then let me know so that I too can come so that the king can come and worship somebody else. You can see how that doesn't really sound right. But that's what he tells them. Verse 9, And having heard the king, they went on their way, and lo, the star which they had seen from the east, and went on before them until it, it came and stood over where the child was born. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary and his mother. And what did they do? They fell down and worshipped. Now, again, this doesn't seem odd to us because we've heard the story every Christmas and every Christmas they come and they fall down and they worship. And so they should worship because this is Jesus and he's the Savior and he's the Christ. But you have to put yourself in this time and place. They don't know all of this, right? They're coming. They see the star and they see the child and they go down and they fall down on the ground to worship. You don't do that as a good Jew. You have to understand that. You have to understand that that's blasphemy and you could be stoned and die on the spot for worshiping somebody other than Yahweh. So what they're doing is worshiping Yahweh. <laughs> but Yahweh is now this personhood of Jesus. And this is the first time we've seen him in flesh. And so this is different. This is a radical shift from, from all this Bible, all this, this history of now we have God incarnate. It's okay to worship because this is Emmanuel, God with us. It's either Emmanuel, God with us, or it's false worship. That's why there's no equivocation on who Jesus is. He's either the God man or it's false worship. And so you have to be all in. And the Magi were all in. They fall down, they worship, and they open their treasures. And their, their treasures have, have meaning. They're not just gifts. It's not just like, you know, a nice card and, you know, a, a gift card to Chili's, you know, or, or Red Robin. It's like, no, these have meaning. The frankincense is, you know, symbolic of what you would use in the worship in the temple. It's symbolic as Christ, the high priest. Because remember, Jesus has many, many titles. Lamb, high priest, right? The gold was symbolic of him being the Christ, the king. The king gets the most precious. That's the gold. And then the myrrh is the perfume. It's what was used to anoint dead bodies. It's kind of that future look to what this king, this high priest king is going to sacrifice himself to the point of death. And so embodied in this is, is really a, con a beautiful concept. Verse 12, and having been warned by God, having been warned by God, God supernaturally steps in and warns him in a dream. You know that little chat that you had with Herod about going back and telling him where Jesus is? No, you, you're going to go another way, another way. And so the first 
event that we see after Jesus's birth is this amazing, this amazing first step of worship. And for us, it's like normal. It's not normal for them. We see in Luke, in Luke 2, uh, 8 through 18, that, that the shepherds come down and worship, right? Why? Because what they see, they, they saw the star, they saw the angels. What, what they had beheld on the mountain was so amazing and so spectacular that they knew this was of God. And they came and they worship. We saw the angels in Luke 2. The angels were there praising and glorifying this baby, this child. I mean, it, it's a terrible example, but you know, in the, in the cartoon movie, The Lion King, right? And the whole opening scene is every animal in the jungle is running, is racing through the jungle, you know, or through the desert to get to what? to see the newborn king. Well, that's what's happening here with the shepherds and with the angels and all of that and the magi, all of that to worship, to worship. Very, very powerful, very massive shift. Well, the second event we see after Jesus' birth is now there's this this search, this great search for, for Jesus. Verse 13, now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So the word on the street is, let's find Jesus and worship. I'm a converted Jew too. But that's not what he's going to do. What he really wants to do is destroy the child. And he arose, Joseph arose, took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Always got to love Joseph's first time and quickly responses to, to, to God. Verse 15, and there was, and, and they were there until the death of Herod that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, out of Egypt did I call my son. And so what do we see here? Well, again, we see an angel of the Lord appearing to Joseph. This is the second time now that an angel of the Lord has appeared to Joseph in a miraculous way. Um, This is an, an incredible thing. And he gives him an instruction. You need to flee. You need to get out of Dodge right now. Because Herod is on the search, on the attack for Jesus. Now again, this is nothing new for for Team Satan, right? Team Satan has always been on the attack for the Messiah. He tried to cut him off way back when with Moses, right? And and Pharaoh instructs all all the maids, kill the babies. Right? If, if, if they kill the lion, remember we were looking at the genealogy last couple weeks? If they kill the lion, then there's no David, there's no Jesus, right? And so we always see this attack, this attack on humanity, attack on, on mankind. We saw it with Jacob and, and, and the famine. If, if Jacob and the famine, if Joseph wasn't strategically placed, what you meant for evil, brothers of, of Joseph, God meant for good. God saved the entire line of Israel through Joseph during the famine, right? The whole line could have been just died from famine. 
but God protects. God has a plan. See, one of the things we have to understand, this search for Jesus, we see it today. Are people really seeking to follow Jesus? Or are they really seeking to undermine and to dethrone God's way? Oh, they'll come to church. They'll big, build big, beautiful churches, but not to teach biblical truth, to, to teach a different gospel, a different way, a new way, right? Something that's entirely not biblical. Satan is a fighter. We studied Ephesians not too long ago and, and understanding the spiritual tack that is all around us every single day. We have to understand that we're in a battle. We're in a battle. We're, we're in a physical battle with the, with the world. We're in a spiritual battle with Satan. And we even get a, 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 a really good glimpse into his, his, his mindset. Revelation 20, for those of you who know that there's only 22 chapters in Revelation. Revelation 20 is at the very end of the Bible. So at the very end of the Bible, the very end, what do we see? We see Satan has been put in, in, in prison for a thousand years. Every single day, he knows who's boss, God's boss. Satan's in prison. He's released. And what's the first thing he does? He comes out fighting. He is a fighter, he's a fighter, he's a fighter till the bitter end. He will not admit defeat. He will fight. We have to be on the alert as well. And you know what? We're not going to always know every little detail. I love the example of Joseph. We know very little about Joseph. What we do know is he listens and he obeys and he does it quickly. And Joseph never went on. He never wrote books. He was never famous or popular or anything like that, right? He wasn't on Oprah, you know, the, the father of, the, of Jesus. No, he just lived life. But we also see again that God's in complete control of these events, even though the king is seeking to destroy Jesus, God's in control. And he's also using this as part of his prophecy because one of the prophecies in Hosea 11.1 1 is Jesus is going to come out of Egypt. And you know, all the naysayers, well, yeah, see, the, the Bible contradicts himself. You know, the Bible says he's going to come from Bethlehem. You know, the Bible says he's going to come from, from Egypt. The Bible says he's going to, you know, be a, 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 a Galilean in Nazareth. Can you be all those things? Of course you can. Have any of you guys moved? Anybody ever grow up? I mean, you know, you ask some people, where'd you grow up? It's like, well, I mean, it depends what, you know, if, if you ask me, well, where was I born? I was born in Glendale, California. I'm from Glendale. Where'd you grow up? Well, I mean, it depends. You know, there's a little place called Tahunga. There's a place, you know, Atwater. I mean, what, what part, it depends on kind of what my mindset is. You know, where are you from? I'm from L.A., I'm in Washington. Nobody knows where Glendale is in Washington. Where are you from? I'm from Los Angeles. You know the Hollywood sign right over the D. Oh, okay. We, we know where that is. You know, where are you from? I'm from California. You know, all those things are true. Don't even ask my kids. We've zigzagged and gone back and forth so many times. I don't know. I don't know where they grew up. <laughs> but 
it actually shows how much more powerful Jesus, uh, the, the, that God is, that he could say Jesus is going to come from these different places and they're all true. I mean, just guessing that, you know, well, the, uh, uh, the Jewish king is going to come from Jerusalem, <laughs> right? It's like, well, I could probably get lucky and guess that one. Uh, that's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. And so we see the, the second event after Jesus' birth is, is there's this now search for Jesus, but not in a good way. Not in a good way. Not to worship, to destroy. The third event then is there's a plot against Jesus. Verse 16, then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he realizes they're not coming back and I don't know where Jesus is. He became, became very enraged. But I thought this guy was a converted Jew. He's not looking for Jesus to worship him. It's the last thing on his mind. Oh, you mean the angel of the Lord, God was right. God knew ahead of time that Herod's plot was to destroy Jesus. Yes. He became enraged and sent. And, and, and just the, the, the depravity, the wickedness, the evil. And he sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and it, all its environs. That means all the little nooks and crannies. Yeah, it wasn't enough to go after, you know, Seattle and Kent and Maple Valley and Ravensdale. And it's like, you know what? Don't forget, there's Selleck. Don't forget, hey, you know what? There's Cumberland. There's little, there's little outlets over there. Don't forget these guys. They're going everywhere for two years old. Can you even begin to comprehend the wickedness of that? But see, Satan is a killer. He's always been a killer. When you see death, when you see senseless death, that's where Satan's at. You, you, the same is true today. When you see senseless murder, death, you know, the Hitler thing, right? The abortion, you, you know who's involved in that because Satan is a killer. God loves and saves. God preserves. Satan destroys. Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. Satan destroys. And if you're not sure who the one is you're after, kill them all. Kill them all. Wicked. Horrible. An attempt to commit genocide. Well, we also see here in verse 18 that this was prophesied in, in, in Jeremiah uh, 31, 15, that there was going to be a voice heard in Ramah weeping and mourning. Why? Because the babies are dying. Rachel weeping for her children. I, you know, we always talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The, the fathers of, of Israel. But then we see here's a mama weeping for her children. And she refused to be comforted because the horror is so overwhelming. It's so great. You can't be comforted of two years of every male child being, being, being destroyed. Because there were no more. They were killed. And the beauty, though, is the next verse in Jeremiah 31. Thus says the Lord, restrain your voice from weeping. Hold back the tears and your eyes from the tears. Your work shall be rewarded and they shall return from the land of their enemy. There is hope, declares the Lord. 
And so we'll see this contrast of here's a prediction that there's just going to be this great tragic event. But in the very next verse in, in Jeremiah that's not covered in Matthew is, but there's hope. There's hope coming. Hope is coming. What, what, what a beautiful proclamation. So even though there's a plot against Jesus, there's hope that comes very closely afterwards. The fourth event after Jesus' birth is Again, more fulfillment in Jesus. Verse 19. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, Herod. He was afraid to go there and being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions in Galilee and came and resided in a city called Nazareth that that was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Well, we see that after Herod's death, a third, a third now, um, appearance, an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and tells, I mean, if, if you were Joseph, right? You, you, again, you have to understand Joseph. Here's Joseph's world. An angel of the Lord comes to him and says, hey, your, your betrothed wife is pregnant. Well, that's a shocker, right? Then an angel of the Lord says, hey, you need to get out of Dodge and move because somebody's after the baby. And that happens. And for two years, babies are being killed, right? For two years in the age range of your son. So, so you know what the angel Lord has, has, has said to you has been true. But that's a scary thing to know that that's out there. There are things that we worry about in this world, right? Things that we think about politically, things that we're worried, the what ifs. This is happening. It's literally happening. And so when the, the angel of the Lord comes and says, okay, Joseph, uh, take the child, get up and go back into the land. It's cool now. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm doing, we're doing okay here. We've been in Egypt for two years now. We've settled in. Um, I'm okay. Um, and now Herod's son is in charge. I don't know that that makes me feel any better either. Okay, just, just, okay, Herod died. Good, I think, you know. Um, you know, usually the son isn't that far from the daddy, right? And vice versa. They're usually very similar. And so, a fourth appearance, a fourth warning by God, verse 22, and being Warned by God. Why? Because he was afraid. It says it here in verse 22. Joseph's afraid to go back. He, Joseph's human. He's not perfect. He's a good man. He's a righteous man. But he's not perfect. He's afraid. And so a warning by God in a dream. It's okay. Go back. And good old Joseph, what does he do? Despite his fears, he goes back. He obeys. He obeys. He trusts. He has the kind of faith that puts the pedal to the metal. 
He follows his faith. He goes. And part of that and included in that is again yet another another fulfillment of prophecy in verse 23 that here we go and we just talked about this that Jesus is not only going to you know be born in Bethlehem not only going to come out of Egypt but is going to be called a Nazarene and so the fulfillments that we see in Jesus just keep coming just keep mounting you know I would be a Christian but if I could just see it these people saw it they were there, eyewitnesses, over and over again. Some of the application that we can see with this, at this point in Matthew chapter 2, there's already 48 specific messianic prophecies fulfilled. There's going to be 350. So the prophecies, the predictions that take place in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills in the New Testament are mathematically impossible if, if you need some kind of empirical proof or evidence. But in these prophecies, they're, they're part of what we see in this fulfillment of who Jesus is, because Jesus is the meta-narrative, we see the incarnation of God. Well, that's a big deal. He's Emmanuel, God with us. We see the fullness of God, the fullness of God being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three, all at the same time, going in full motion, in full gear, right? And that's not to suggest that they weren't in complete harmony and in completion. But now Jesus with the feet on the ground is a whole different level. We see the image of God. Right, that the word is now become flesh. We see the firstborn of God, John three sixteen, the, in the only begotten Son. Jesus is different. It's not the same program. He's born of a virgin, right? We see the the arm of God. What's the arm of God? Another underused term, like the anchor. The arm of God is the, that's the action. Jesus is the action. He's making it happen. We're going to see the Lamb of God, and we're going to celebrate the Lamb of God in a few minutes. He is the Lamb of God. He is the sacrifice. He is the perfect, sinless sacrifice that, that, that is what is required for the payment, the atonement, for the forgiveness of sin. He is the substitution, the, the Lamb, the calf, the heifer was our substitute Christ is going to be our substitute. He's the perfect sacrifice. And then finally, we see through his birth that he is the gift of God. This is the gift. This our our salvation, our, our free salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? For by grace we're saved through faith, not of our own. It's a gift from God. And so we're in... In this massive shift, as we're studying Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, this massive shift from the old you know, Jewish tradition to the completion now as, as, as the Jews are, you, you, you got to be on the Christian train now, right? You were no, there's neither Jew nor Greek anymore. 
Okay, and so we're seeing this. We're seeing this take place. We're seeing that you have to be separate from the world. You can't be part of the world. We, we see this all the time in the chief priests and the scribes and, and, and the, the religious zealots of the day are, are really more hand in hand with the political party of the day. Again, why we have to be so careful. Look, there are things politically that we can clearly see that we can't stand, but do not be deceived. There is no friend. There's quite truly the lesser of two evils, but there isn't one side or the other that's the better, that's the, the godly, right? Um, and so we have to be careful with that. Uh, we're, that's why we're not political. We pick Jesus, not the world, not the world. And again, we're going to continue to say this. You got to be all in. There, there's no half-hearted. There's no Steve Jobs. Well, you know, 50-50. No, it, it doesn't work that way. You have to be all in. And we'll see Jesus put man to the test time after time again when he rolls into town with that great message of, hey, here I am. Believe me or don't believe me, it's cool. Do what you want to do. Just, you know, kind of maybe 50-50 on me. No, he comes into town. You need to repent. You need to stop doing what you're doing and follow me. You need to fight sin every single day. We've got a new program. If you believe, then we'll see it. If you believe, we'll see the fruit. doesn't mean that we're going to see perfection, but, but we should see fruit. And so we have to be all in. As, as we get ready for communion, um, we celebrate communion here uh, inclusively with 